Welcome to the Jesus Never Ran podcast, where we slow down and take the time to wrestle with our faith. My name's Matt Kinzera. Let's take a walk. This week, we hear from pastor and author, Steve Weens. Because remember, Matt, I am a pastor. And I don't don't want to be like wishy-washy, you know? I don't mean to be. What I'm saying to me doesn't sound like that. Before we jump in, I want to remind you to be sure to support small businesses during these challenging times, specifically the sponsors of Jesus Never Ran, Rise Nutrition, and Infinity Beverages. Both are still doing business. You can check out their specific hours and what is available by going to their website pages and by going to Facebook. For Infinity Beverages, they're still doing deliveries. They're still doing pickup orders. You can check them out at www.infinitybeverages.com. Same thing for Rise Nutrition. They are still rocking and rolling, helping people out with their fitness and nutrition. Find them at Rise Menominee on Facebook. So excited to have Steve Weens on the broadcast this week. I have known Steve for over two decades now, and he was a pastor at one of the first non-Catholic churches I ever went to and has gone on to do some incredible work in this world. So let me introduce you to Mr. Steve Weens. The best way to describe me in terms of what I do creatively is I'm, I really want to help people who are spiritually curious uh, reconstruct their faith. I love giving people permission to ask all kinds of questions. So I'm a, I'm a pastor, but in the sense that <laughs> I think um, I'm the kind of pastor that if, if you really need certainty, if you need certain answers and rock solid, never changing theologies, I'm probably not your guy. But if you are on a journey of faith and what used to work doesn't work anymore, but you're still looking to find God, I think I can be a pretty good companion. So I'm an author. Uh, I've written three books. The first book is called Beginnings. It's a creative, imaginative exploration of the seven days of creation, not as, you know, not as seven literal days, but as a kind of roadmap in your own spiritual journey. So are you on day one, day two, day three, based on where you're at in your life? And then the second book is a book called Whole, which it asks some of the big questions uh, about brokenness and about restoration that the Bible asks. And then this book now is a mindfulness book on finding God uh, right where you are. It's called Shining Like the Sun. Uh, so, and I mentioned I'm a pastor and <laughs> I never thought I would be one growing up. I never thought I would be a pastor. And even today, I, st- <laughs> I still wonder how long can I actually do this? Um, but there's, there's so much good work, I think, to do in the world. And I, I, I still find great joy in helping people, as I said, uh, connect to God as their faith evolves and as their faith continues to expand. Now, right away, you can hear that Steve is not your run-of-the-mill pastor who's always looking for certainty and always looking to give all the right answers. But if I'm honest with all of you, when I first met Steve a couple of decades ago, I pretty much thought he was a normal run-of-the-mill pastor, and I loved him for that. So I wanted to hear a little bit more about how this has all unfolded to get to this point where he is today. 
You know, so I think when it comes to faith, first of all, it's such a universally misunderstood word and concept. Like, do you have faith? What kind of faith do you have? Uh, and especially, I think, for, us, for evangelical Christians, which I certainly have grown up in that tribe of, of people, there has been a tremendous, and I would even say necessary at some point, need to define who it is that we are and what it is that we do in terms of how are we different from other kinds of faiths, especially the evangelical mind and psyche sociologically is pretty young. You know, like when we, when we talk about that movement, it's probably less than 200 years old. And it, it rose out of a fear that Christianity was becoming way too, and I'm using air quotes here, way too liberal. And so a group of people came up with some fundamentals that we said we had to really be rock solid on. And it was important to defend those fundamentals. You can, uh, if you grew up in this kind of environment, we talked a lot about defending our faith and having an answer that was ready for everybody. And the reason was, was because everybody that didn't believe that way was going straight to hell when they died. And I, I say that with some laughter in my voice, because now it sounds utterly ridiculous to me that anyone who doesn't believe a very rigid set of beliefs in their mind is going to hell. And everyone who does believe those very rigid set of beliefs in their mind is uh, safe from going to hell. And so, I think it's interesting because I remember even as a youth pastor in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, I remember I was about 30 years old and I was giving a sermon to high school kids about the idea of becoming a Christian. And I, and I remember describing it as being as easy as ABC. A is accept that you are a sinner. B is believe that Jesus died for your sin. And then C is commit to following your life and modeling your life after, after Jesus. And I remember, Matt, even as I was talking through that sermon, I remember thinking, this is bullshit. Like, I don't believe this anymore. <laughs> but I was preaching it. And it was a great church that I was in, no complaints with the church. But I remember having some at least cognitive crisis of faith in that, and, and then it led to many other things. And so, now what I think about faith is that God is, God is mystery, but as Richard Rohr likes to say a lot, that doesn't mean that he, that he or she, that God can't be understood. It means that God can be endlessly understood. And so, that means that we have to keep evolving in what our faith is if we're going to keep understanding more and more about God. And so, the trajectory should be bigger and bigger and bigger. More, it should be, our faith should be expanding. If we're healthy and, and, and growing, we should actually be break the boxes that we've created for God, which of course we will. We need them. They're called theologies. <laughs> Without them, we can't understand God at all. But if we stay believing in the same theologies as certain things happen in our lives, certain relationships, certain pain and disappointment, death and questions, if we, if we try to cram all those things in the same theological grid that we have always had, we'll have to either become dishonest 
or we'll have to change the way we think about God. If you are like me, a person like Steve, you hear them talk and it brings you so much hope and so much freedom and you feel almost like you have to listen to it in the closet somewhere so that somebody doesn't actually hear what you're listening to or what you're thinking. Whether we've been pastors or whether we've been saying something or reading something or listening to something, I think we can all relate to Steve's story about being a youth pastor where things are coming out of our mouth that we actually don't even believe. And what freedom to think about our faith expanding as opposed to we're just giving up on it. It's actually expanding. Now, Steve just released a brand new book. You heard him reference it earlier called Shining Like the Sun. And it's a great book. I just finished it up last week. So I want you to hear from him what his hope is for this book. My hope for Shining Like the Sun is that it would give readers permission to find God in a different way than they are used to. I think, again, I I just end up talking to so many people who are still so hungry for God and they almost like they're mad about it. (laughs) Like they wish they could just give up, but they're still curious and they're still hungry, but they're, they are tired of doing it the really, really hard way, which feels like, I don't know, playing by the right rules at the right church or having to believe all the right things without expressing any doubt. And Shining Like the Sun offers really seven mindful practices for finding God right exactly where you are and right exactly who you are. Like not leaving the moment and not leaving your true self. In fact, returning to this moment and returning to your true self is where you will find God loving you and embracing you and accepting you and waiting for you. And so that's what I, what I hope people experience when they, when they read the book, but also when they start to experiment with the practices. One of my favorite parts about the book was a chapter about the practice of ordinary And he talks about this idea of living out our script. Yeah. So I think I was heading into a tough conversation and I emailed my family who is so, they've always been so generous and encouraging with me. And they basically said, we believe in you. Just, just be yourself and everything will go fine. I'm sure. And what I remember really honestly thinking and probably overly (laughs) introspectively, to be honest, but I remember thinking, well, which me should I be? Um, because I think there's a lot of ways that I show up in the world in order to be accepted, in order to get something done, in order to get my ideas across, in order to be seen as worthwhile. And all of, you know, so many authors over the years, Thomas Merton, Father Thomas Keating and others, Henry Nowen, uh, Brendan Manning, even Brene Brown in her own way would call that the shadow self or the false self. But I think our false self can also be referred to as sort of a, the script that we follow because we think we have to, in order to be you, you fill in the blank, loved, accepted, made a leader in certain situations, be allowed to be 
in a group or not. Uh, and we almost intuitively move into these ways of being that are actually hard on our souls to be that way. They're, they're hard on our bodies. Even we carry attention by acting contrary to who our true self is. And so the idea of abandoning the script that you felt like you needed to follow in order to pursue your true self is, um, is kind of like, like it's, it's so beautiful and simple, but it's also so difficult because many people have probably gotten to know your false self. You know, like if you've ever worked in ministry, Matt, I know this is true. Uh, for me, I know it's true for you just because I, I know you enough, but you've been hired by churches and places uh, because they like your false self. <laughs> they hired your false self. And then if you go on a journey and start saying, well, that's not really who I am. And that's not really what I really want to bring to the world. And that's maybe even bad for me to bring what my false self promised you that I would bring then you might even lose your job, like your ministry job. So it's, it's not always like the, the rainbow, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow to pursue your true self, but the journey to living out of our truest self will be a lifelong journey, but that'll be the place where we find God. The place where we will find God may be one of the most challenging places to get to, especially for those of us who have been in ministry or have been connected with the evangelical church or mainline denominations for most of your life. Because even though it's going to be the space of freedom and the space where we can find God in such beautiful ways, it also may cost us something. In my case, it cost me spaces of ministry. It cost me friends. It cost me so much. It cost me, in some ways, at least my script of my identity in my head. And so this is no small feat. And I understand for some of you listening right now what might be going through your head. But I can tell you as somebody who feels at least that I'm on the other side of it, that it's worth it. It's absolutely worth it. In a quote from Steve's latest book, Shining Like the Sun, he says, Do we really shine like the sun when we'd rather leave some people in the shadows? There's this human tendency to want to prove that you are right uh, and that you believe the right things and that you're correct in your beliefs. And, you know, I, I don't think this is an evil motivation. I think this is just one of the ways that that we try to fit into certain society, you know, like, so I don't, I don't think it's this terrible thing. But when we need other people to be wrong, in order to, to prove that we are right, that's when we start demonizing people, because we have to, if your construct says, that only a few people are right and that you can reach 100% theological certainty and correctness, then everyone who hasn't reached that, you will automatically have to judge them as less than and left out 
And that does not bode well for good, expansive conversations. It's interesting that the only way that we grow is typically when we're invited into what many people call liminal spaces, where in the Bible, this is whenever the children of Israel or anyone, Jesus or anyone entered the wilderness, though I believe that really happened, like literally, it's also can be understood as a, as a metaphor for leaving your familiar territory for real, like you're not going back, you've really left it, but not arriving yet at your destination. So you're in this liminal space, this middle space, this space that truly you don't know where you're going to end up. And in that space, because your normal way of thinking is put on pause, you're allowed to think differently. And that's when you can start acquiring a, a different and maybe more expansive way of thinking. That's when you can consider things from different perspectives. I think right now we're living in that time with COVID-19, global pandemic, we are actually in the wilderness in a way that we don't know when this is all going to end. We don't know how it's going to end. We don't know what normal even we will return to if there will be a normal that we'll return to. We don't know what that is. And you'll, you'll notice during this time that people's anxiety, I think, is mostly not about being afraid of dying, though some people are. Most people's anxiety is because living with the uncertainty is so hard. But back to conversations, if you really want to listen to someone else who has a different point of view than you and welcome them with hospitality, you don't have to believe what they believe. You don't have to, you know, convert to their way of thinking. But if you really want to offer a place of hospitality, of listening, you, you actually will have to enter into some liminal space. Like you can't, you can't just rigidly hang on to everything that you believe in, everything that you think. And so... There's this, there's this Japanese word, it's, it's pronounced mu, I think, think of it as like M-U. And it's, it, I first encountered it in Robert Persig's book, The Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. I, I took that, this course in college where I had to, I had to read that book and it's, it's beautiful. So this, this concept is that you could request a different question when someone is dogmatically forcing you to choose one of two answers, like dualistic answers to a question that you think is much bigger than that. Do you think Jews are going to hell? Do you think Hindus are going to hell? I might say, well, you want me to say yes or no, but actually I, th I want a different question. <laughs> Mu, M-U, it literally means no thing or a quality that exists apart from, like if you think about, you know, ones and zeros, right? In terms of basic uh, programming. And I'm very, that is very appealing to me. I've always been curious and, and stuff. So like the idea of, of pursuing beyond the dualistic answers of yes and no, right and wrong, in or out, uh, to me as it relates to faith, makes a bigger playground in which we can all play. And I don't think, I want to say this really clearly, I do not think we all believe the same things, nor do I believe all of the roads lead to the same place. And the reason why I don't believe that is because it's it's so clearly that faiths are distinct 
and different, and that's beautiful. It's when we start rigidly holding on to our theological certainty and, and correctness. That's that's what starts getting dangerous. Uh, I think when we're talking about something as expansive as eternity and, and God, to be able to say, "I yeah, I get it. I got it. I nailed that one. Let's 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 move on." And I can choose to answer who is in and who is out. I just think that's way too big of a question for me to answer. That is so true. So many times in our faith journeys, we are posed with the opportunity to answer questions that are just way beyond us because we're talking about faith. We're talking about God. All of these things are way beyond us. And so this idea of trying to get our hands wrapped around it is hard it's tricky and we don't have to pretend like it's not and we don't have to pretend like we have all the answers now before finishing up with steve i just wanted to ask him personally because we're all in this together we're all in the same boat as far as our faith goes i think all of us have questions doubts wonderings i wanted to know from steve as a pastor as an author as somebody who thinks about this a great deal what's something that you're wrestling with right now Okay, so I, this is going to probably make sense to certain people and not make sense to other people. Okay, <laughs> but let me just try it on. Okay, and it does feel somewhat dangerous to say into a space that people will listen to it and not know what I mean. But but I am a Christian, and I'm I'm holding on to that to that identity and that tradition, and by that I mean I place my trust in jesus the christ and who he was and who he is and what he did in the world and what he is doing in the world and and not but but and i i tend to think that even the christian tradition like as good as it is in many ways over the two thousand years that it's morphed and adapted has become a religious construct just like all the other religious constructs <laughs> and it's neither better nor worse than any of the rest of them either now i think it's different and i think it's unique and again i continue to choose it because of jesus the christ but i i no longer think or i wonder you ask me what i'm wrestling with i wonder if what we think about Christianity these days, even in the broadest sense, is anywhere even close to what it was supposed to be. And so therefore, <laughs> my allegiance to it is much more of a small c, small f faith, and I struggle with knowing what to do with that. For Steve Weens, walking like Jesus means letting go of certainty so our faith can expand. To learn more about Steve, be sure to check out his website at steveweens.com. Weens is spelled W-I-E-N-S. Also, be sure to check out his podcast. It's called This Good Word, Reclaiming What's Holy About Our Humanity. Be sure to support his work by ordering all of his books. You can get them right from his website or hop on Amazon or really any other place where amazing books are sold. 
The best way to support Jesus Never Ran is by subscribing to the podcast and then give us a five-star rating. And if you have some time, write a review. It's the best way to get this podcast in front of as many people as possible. Until next week, keep walking. Keep walking.